Welcome, everybody. It's Wash Me Pod, uh, the podcast about game changers in punk, emo, and hardcore, where we dive into some topics that we think that you should hear about in our heart of hearts. Uh, I, as always, am your host, Jim. I, as always, am Hugo Reyes. Yo, um, government, full government name. Let's go. Uh, with us First today, we've got... Ever. With us today, we've got Dave. Um, Dave plays drums and sings in a band called Two Houses based out of Chicago that are uh, arguably, I think, the longest standing Chicago punk band that isn't the Lawrence Arms or Alkaline Trio at this point. Um, A longtime enjoyer of the band of choice today. Dave, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for that lovely intro. It's an interesting claim, and I'm not going to dispute it. Yeah, I mean, there there isn't uh, there isn't Wikipedia to back it up, but given my institutional knowledge of the landscape and Hugo's, like, I think it might be a, a voracious claim. I don't it's know. It's a very Jim thing to say, which is, it is. just being true to yourself. It's yeah, exactly. It's it's on brand for me to make like extreme statements that just like throw a brick through the Overton window. So that's, uh, <laughs> as long as I'm continuing to do that, I'm staying completely in step with myself. Yeah. So. We have gathered here today, the three of us, uh, humble, humble emo men, to talk about uh, perhaps the most decorated real emo band of all time, um, certainly of the 90s, Sunny Day Real Estate. Um, but before we get into that, I want to do what we always do and go around the horn and talk about um, current events, kind of what we've been listening to, and um, why don't we in the interest of brevity let's keep it to one new release that you've been listening to and one gig that you've hit in the last two weeks if if applicable um hugo let's start with you uh okay i i went to a house show last week and saw record setter fifth wave emo screamo band uh was really into their record for a while i didn't even know the show was happening until a friend texted me i can't disclose the location obviously because it's a house show you never yep. know where the cops may be listening they might be listening right now um yeah i was super super excited um they ripped through maybe like a 20 minute set and surprisingly it sounds like exactly the same as it does does on record they even did some of the slower tracks the more interlude stuff um i'm hoping next time that they play a venue just because it was light as a house show should be but i feel like if they played uh like a kickstand like subterranean or bee kitchen there would have been more people showing up especially because she their most monthly listeners come from Chicago. Yep. Um, but I think this was like a test run for them. I don't think they've really toured outside of Texas because Texas is so big and it's hard to get anywhere. And they even had to cut this tour short because they got COVID. Um, while as, as people have been doing. Um, and then for new music, I'll give a shout out to a knife in the dark, one way needle. Uh, Metallic Hardcore, Straight Edge, got a dude from Magnitude. Not really on the Magnitude tip. I'd say it's closer to like a Vane or Jesus piece, like super heavy, but like super melodic. I'd recommend both of their 
Larry Pease, and I'll just give a quick shout out to Space Space Jams, um, which is another numerality zine. Uh, kind of reminds me of I, I use the comparison of early turnstile a lot, but all that means is that they have a super charismatic vocalist um and yeah i'd re i'd recommend that it's a compilation of everything they've done thus far and um i think they have a lot of promise and can only get better dave how about you man um i was at the laura stevenson gig last night that was at the bee kitchen that was good um i've seen her many times before but my partner had never seen her, her before and she was really struck by just like her impression was like, I was just in awe of seeing a person who is born to do this craft, who is just like so innately talented and um, a cut above the rest and just just like flawless a uh, performer. It was pretty tame. You know, I'm getting to a point in my life where like calm shows, like chill shows and quiet shows are like physically painful to endure because you can't shift your weight very i feel like i have to like focus on being still and that's very uncomfortable and not fun for me so that's, that's a new struggle in my 30s i must say that's interesting because like that's i feel like that's the opposite take of what a normal um 32 year old would have right like most 32 yeah. year olds would be like i like shows where i can stand still and i don't have to move around uh but it's uh it's cool it's cool that there are different strokes i'm in the same boat man i can't fucking stand still to save my life it as sucks. you spent more than five minutes around me knows so right. uh, I'm always doing the Tony Hawk skater select fucking yeah. sleigh. Um, Bobbing like this. Yeah. Um, new releases, the new End It record. Um, <laughs> so good. Tremendous. Yeah. You know, I'm like, um, I was telling my bandmate Ryan Smith that this is like, this is the one hardcore band that has like no elements that I dislike for me. Yeah. It's like everything that I want, everything that I want out of a front man. He's so charismatic. Um, funny there's a sense of humor in every song and there's also this like he was saying that what's tough about listening to it for him about getting into it for him is that there's all this like local Baltimore lore but that's precisely what I like about it because it's like yeah. I can kind of just feel like I'm visiting a place when I listen to it and then leave and it's the that's that's such a that's pulling on the on the thread of such like a tried and true hardcore trope that dates all the way back to like Madball set it off, I think epitomizes it, right? Where it's just like, there is an inherent element of world building mm -hmm. in the record and it is meant to trans transmit you to a fucking place and put you there in the entire context. And regionality I, is always a plus for me yeah. with anything, especially as Chicago people, like it's as someone who's deeply invested in the scene, seeing that and being able to pull the thread, like even having justice, from trapped under ice on on a track it's like it allows me to to connect all these threads because like and it doesn't just exist in a vacuum it's and it is ended because they're from baltimore if they were from philly they would sound different maybe they'd sound more like blacklist or some shit absolutely um couldn't agree more with that uh on my end I went to a really, really cool, the emphasis this summer, um, I feel like I sort of at the beginning of this year manifested that I wanted to go to and play more DIY house type gigs. And that has definitely been something that's come true, especially this summer. Um, I went to a 
show at this really cool, new to me and relatively new in general spot in Toledo called the Convent DIY Punk House in like a, a literal old convent. Uh, saw Mutilation Bar, it was a death metal show using the term broadly. Um, Mutilation Barbecue from Cleveland. Super fun uh, death metal, sort of in the vein of Sangri Sugabug in terms of just like being like intensely danceable, but with like way bigger emphasis on like cool guitar work. Like the guitarist almost has like a Tom Morello vibe with the kind of stuff that he does and the kind of effects he uses. Really cool stuff. Um, local uh, local appearances from Bud Rot which is a Southeast Michigan band. Uh, like they're like a weed, weed death metal band. Super fun. Um, super, super sweet people too. Uh, band out of uh, Fargo, North Dakota called Maul, as in like the act of mauling something or getting mauled by an animal. Top five coolest bands I've ever fucking seen. Uh, nicest dudes and the singer and the bassist are these two just like, towering behemoths of indigenous dudes who look like 70s porn stars and just the coolest vibe nicest guys and like absolutely incredible music i can't emphasize enough that like if you care about death metal or death metal adjacent music at all like mall needs to be a band that is on your radar uh and last but not least out of toledo band that's been making a lot of waves here uh band called meth stain i talked about them briefly before but they are a deathcore outfit they do the deathcore thing of having two vocalists. They have like a 10 minute set and they all wear like bib overalls and ski masks on stage. Uh, really, really cool. So that was a fun, fun gig to hit. Definitely like immaculate vibes. And I love that we're in an era in Toledo where like you go to any show and the vibes are going to be fucking perfect. Um, very cool, <laughs> given the way it used to be. Uh, in terms of new music, the thing that I have just been obsessed with the past couple of days is this new World of Pleasure EP. Um, World of Pleasure is a West Canadian vegan straight edge outfit with members of Mortality Rate, and there's one other band involved. Um, and it is like take like the energy of like Pain of Truth and Gridiron mix it with the energy of like end it and volcano and then make it vegan straight edge it is like the first time it's like vegan straight edge beat down and it's the first time i've ever heard those specific things come together and it is the first release this year besides the anxious record that has made me like just grin ear to ear shit eating joker style while i was listening to it so like totally um if that isn't on your radar if you're not on hardcore Twitter, check it out. World of Pleasure. Uh, I believe the release, the release is just called World of Pleasure and Friends. It's four songs. Easy. Um, with that out of the way, anything else before we get into it, fellas? Just to add on that, it, I think you're not selling how in on the vegan straight edge it is. Like It's like it's extremely like, vegan straight edge. Like it's like, like anybody who who's producing meat should be killed on the spot immediately. And yeah. I want to drink drink their blood and taste their tears right yeah. now like it's it's good um obviously anything that's that gassed out you have to take with tongue and cheek but it is fun to have much like the weapon x did about vanilla straight edge earlier this year it is fun to have bands that are that send it about the ideology um because you have 
the heavy hitter bands like Magnitude who are being very nuanced and like educational about it, right? So you need a counterweight, especially because like ignorant knuckle draggy stuff is so in vogue right now. So it's good to see the vegan straight edge getting a piece of the pie there. I'm cool. very intrigued by that. Just looking at the album art, it looks like something you'd see on like the a bag of nuts at H Mart or something like candy yeah. nuts. You know what I'm talking about? It's the wildest album art ever. It like has straight up like it looks like a hyper pop record. Yes. Like, yeah. Um, I'm intrigued. It's fucking great. Uh, anyway, we are here to talk about the one and the only Sunny Day Real Estate, the band that is name checked in any good faith conversation or any bad faith conversation, quite frankly, about, about emo. Uh, and a band that has a, a really textured and interesting discography for how, especially for how short the discography is in relative terms. Um, Sunny Day, they were started in 1994-ish in Seattle. That, at least when that, that's when their first... Uh, record diary came out on sub pop records uh, a lot of critical acclaim out of the gate um, recorded a follow-up lp2 that very much just feels like a you know capable sequel to that um, with quite a bit of creative development there was some lineup uh, there was some lineup uh, flux after that notably the rhythm section left the band to join Foo Fighters um, they regrouped in 97 long enough to record two more studio albums where the band took on like a way more adventurous sound, which I think is going to be the pith of a lot of our discussion uh, today. And then I've had sort of just periods of mostly being broken up, but occasionally reuniting um, in the later, the later reunions, um, the bassist Nate Mendel actually joined back into the band, whereas the late nineties reunion happened sans him that is all to say like really interesting story to history uh there's in the the books um the book post by eric grubbs shout out that book really really goes in deep um onto like the whole the whole dynamic and hugo correct me if i'm wrong because i have fucking brain worms that dan ozzy talks about them in his book dude um i i believe i believe so i may be wrong i, I meant to look at Sella beforehand but got i, I read crunched for a time no yeah uh, Dan okay, no. okay okay no okay yeah we're totally talking out of our out of our ass that, um, I, I i i read posts so close to reading sellout that they bled together I think I, <laughs> I think I blended them together and i i think even if there isn't a chapter they they come they come up i feel like i feel like there's part of it where where they're mentioned because you can't really talk about that that wave you know post like nirvana without without sunny day because as we'll talk about they kind of exist at this weird nexus point where like grunge and emo meet in a weird way and like i think it's notable that like sunny day like fucking sold records yeah they moved units like a motherfucker like um, none of none of these other bands that are name checked like the ringer just dropped like the best emo songs from like the past 40 years in circles is on there. And if you compare it to like most of that stuff of the emo stuff of the nineties, like it eclipses like in terms of sales, which is just like an interesting counterpoint versus yeah. everything else that like the emo revival was like mentioning. Yeah. I think suffice it to say that like diary is the 
sort of time capsule emo album. Like if I'm, if I'm hard pressed to think about an emo album that like would be included in a time capsule in good faith to like encompass the genre, it would either be that or the rights of spring record. I don't think any other albums are even in the conversation just as far as like the, the, the level of just impact that it had. Um, so there in the late 20 teens, there were, there was some drama. We don't, it's not what we're here to talk about. We don't need to get into it. Um, the, cool thing and the kind of the reason why we're talking about it uh, is that in January of this year um, the band set up a new Instagram page people started speculating and then it was confirmed in the back half of the month by Spin Magazine um, that a full OG lineup uh, reunion was happening and they're doing a North American tour with the Appleseed cast that Dave and I are going to uh, and they're also playing Furnace Fest that I'm also going to so that's that's all to say that we're really excited that sunny day is coming back and hopefully you know hopefully it goes well and they're able to you know put a put a booster into their already like thriving legacy as a band um as we always do here we want to go around the horn and talk about you know what our kind of respective paths into liking sunny day real estate uh were uh hugo i'm gonna i'm gonna start with you um mine is pretty short so when i was getting into second wave emo in college there was a playlist that that i found um and in circles by sunny day was on there i listened to diary a lot i always i always liked it especially that the opening like free song run of like seven into in circles um i can't remember the third track but by name but that was always what I listened to on repeat. I wouldn't even really listen to the whole record. I'd like skip around to In Shadows. I never even went to LP2 because I was like, I there's so much stuff I need to learn. Like I was like, I had no idea what second wave emo was or like even first wave until college. So I was, so I was really trying to take in as much as possible. And then I remember watching a youtube video with evan weiss into it over it and they asked him like what's your favorite emo record of all time and or whatever and it's how to feel how it feels to be something on the third record and i think i tried it like once and i fucking hated it or i tried <laughs> the song um i just didn't need to go i didn't need to go any fur further and i've i've subsequently tried because their ian cohen has gone really hard on like their anniversary pieces he when they first did their reunion 09 he did a he did a review on pitchfork for diary and lp2 and has done and did stuff for the reissue how it feels and a stereo gum piece for the rising tide so i've always tried and i hear with this reunion people going hard for like the later era stuff so it's always been on my mind that like, okay, I need to give this stuff some more time, but it's, but Diary is so like inextricable from like the canon. Like, like you said, it's like, if you want to understand second wave, you show them that record or just seven or in circles, it's called Diary for like, for Christ's sake. Like it's what it, it's, it's telling you exactly what it is with the, 
album title. Um, so that's where that's that's where I stand. I didn't even know there was a, another opinion until much later. Dave, how about you, Hoss? Okay. Um, so we're going to get into these individual records later, I presume, correct? 100%. We're going to okay. go one by one through them. I've been trying to think about how I got into Sunny Day, and I know for a fact that the first time I ever really gave Diary the old college try was after reading a feature in Alternative Press, probably 2003. So I think War All the Time had just come out, and it was a drummer feature. Jim, I wonder if you read this as a young drummer. I want to say that I want to say that it crossed my radar. Okay. Yeah. There was so that basically it was like interviewing all these prominent emo drummers as to what their yep. like most yep. influential record was. And Tucker Rule from Thursday, who was probably like Thursday was a bit, I'm gonna sidetrack a little bit here, but Thursday was a band that I really wanted to like, but kind of struggled to get into them. There was a lot in the way, but the drums were something that really cut through for me. So I wanted to hear what he had to say, what Tucker had to say about this record, about Diary specifically. And I remember like picking up Diary and I think it was already on my radar because that album cover is so iconic. You kind of see it in, I remember like one of the ways that I got into music back in the day was like going on Amazon and there were like, people would make these like top 10 best of the genre, like kind of like wish lists and shit like that. Like, just sort of their own like personal favorites collections. And I was getting into emo through what everybody else was getting into emo through at the time, which was alternative press type stuff. And everybody was name checking Diary. And I can remember that being one of those records as a kid that like, so I was probably like 13 or 14, that like I really liked the idea of it and I really wanted to get into it. Because conceptually, like you said, Hugo, the name Diary is like so sentimental and warm and inviting. And like that album cover is so like, it's like a world that I wanted to go into and explore. But I remember like getting the CD and loving the first three tracks, particularly Song About an Angel, probably still my favorite track off that record. And really struggling with the with everything afterwards, except for sometimes that closer struck a chord with me when I was a kid. But the rest of it, I found like very murky and kind of intimidating and like even like emotionally scary at the time at that age. That's pretty young, I guess, um, in the same way that I found like Bivouac to be too challenging of a record the first time I heard it. And so those few songs stuck with me and William Goldsmith really stuck with me. Um, I remember just really like playing along with that album and getting a lot out of that experience. But I didn't come back to them to explore the rest of the material until college. Um, I got an internship at Time Out Chicago and my editor there was this guy, Brent DiCrescenzo, who famously panned, I think, I think he panned the rising tide on Pitchfork, but he was like one of the Pitchfork founder guys. Um, Isn't he the one that wrote the OK Computer? Yes. Review? Yeah. He wrote that and he wrote like the 0, 0.0 review for the dude from Dismemberment Plans solo album and stuff. So he's like, he's missed, he's the original like hot take guy. Um, at least in that respect. And so he was like, you got to check out the Pink album. Like, that's the one. And I remember like throwing that on and being like, wow, this is this is an evolution on Diary in every respect. And from there, I don't think I got, I don't think I dove too much further into how it feels until I was in recovery and kind of open to the spiritual aspect of the band in a new way again. I'm probably going too far with this on-ramp thing, but. Um, no, it's all good. 
it'll it'll lend shorter shrift to when we actually talk about the records. So sure, sure, sure. But that's where it really hit home for me was with how it feels, and I'll I'll talk about that more when we come back to that record. Cool. Yeah, that's um, not entirely dissimilar from my story. It was at some point in 03 or 04 when I was having the, I think, uniquely millennial punk experience of like being a Wikipedia brat, right? Which is like a very, I think, an honest way that like a very specific age cohort uh, got to reckon with, uh, given the times that we were in with discovering music, where like we have an almost definitively dilettantish uh approach to genre because of wikipedia and because of how important wikipedia was, was to our discovery and so that is to say that when i was learning about emo like when emo was really like when i was really wrestling with the idea because like 04 was when emo took that like hard turn into like the 18 visions and senses fail fashion core thing and i was just like kind of getting the ick and so I was sort of trying to find myself um about like what is this genre how can I claim this genre and make it my own and a big part of that was jawbreaker like but a big part of that was also doing a you know cursory dive on the 90s stuff and so naturally diary and to a lesser extent pink album were, were a part of that um I think that the aesthetics of diary which I will get into later on everything that sells the album for me now was something that I didn't really fully understand it was like sort of a little too challenging for me at the time much like you said Dave um my big big head over heels moment with the band was back in 2016 um when they reissued Rising Tide on vinyl i went and picked it up not for myself but for josh glass at record store day at reckless and i was like i should give this album a listen because immediately like you know immediately i realized that the back half of sunny day's discography had always been a blind spot for me so at that point i dove into that album and how it feels to be something on um and i was immediately taken by both of them but especially by the rising tide um but just the there's just something that just lives and breathes in those albums that is uncanny and i i'll get into it more later again when we have our big love fest about them uh but how it feels to be something on um fully hit for me this year for whatever reason like this this is the first year that sort of out ahead of us seeing them together and sort of me knowing that that's your go-to album i like really wanted to give that album a, a proper you know dive and a proper like big set of close listens as I do with albums and so it's it's been in my rotation for the last 10 weeks or so pretty persistently like I haven't really been able to put it down and there's just something about it for me in this moment of my life that is hitting and it's hitting in a way that few other albums ever have so we'll uh, we'll talk more about that when we get get into it um anything else on autobiography before we uh before we dive into the actual uh actual going through the records fellas Nope. Don't think so. We'll get to it. Dope show. Well, to use the words of Brandon Runyon, uh, dope show. Uh, at any rate, let's start off with Diary. Um, 1994, again, Sub Pop Records. Uh, Hugo, 
Start, start oh, oh, okay, okay. So that's going to be the order of operations is Hugo, I, Dave, me. Because okay. I'm really loquacious and I don't want to like outgun everybody and say everything anybody is going to say because I'm a fucking motor mouth. So, yeah. I, I mean, like, what else to say that I haven't said? The, the like, definitive second wave emo record. I, like, it's on this list and I think... I everybody talks about American football and cap and jazz with like the revival stuff, but when I listen to this, I hear a lot of like early like emo revival stuff, like like not like even like stuff like grown ups, which is like like really intricate like guitar parts. The guitars are clashing and weaving together. In that way, you can tell that they listen to a lot of Fugazi during during this time. But they pair it with like, as we'll get to later, like their love of like U two and like and like arena rock. Like some of these songs are straight up alt rock stuff, and it makes and I think it's that it's their blend of stuff that like makes this still interesting. Um, and I think what Dave was saying earlier. It's it's trying some stuff, but I don't think it totally works. I think it's way too long. I think the sequencing is kind of really bad, in my opinion. To to have those three tracks to start, um, it's it's just like it's a it's a mistake to have seven into in circles. Like uh, it it doesn't it like it seems like a, almost like a major label debut like se- sequencing where it's like we we have the tracks we know that'll hit um and there's even like there's even like that weird tr- i forget what tra- what track it is that that has the i can't even remember um Ferton Skirto, which is like a really weird track like um but yeah like it, it but it still succeeds in spite of its flaws, which is like I think the biggest mark for excellence for any any band where it's like I could say all these things, but they they wrote like the definitive emo song. So it doesn't it doesn't matter. And like I feel like LP2 is gonna be better because I think Jeremy in particular, I think isn't quite self-assured in his vocals yet i i think he's n- not leaning into his natural singing voice as we'll see see later um he's like that falsetto isn't isn't quite there but um but yeah obviously good record over to you dave um this is their worst record in my opinion i think it's it's really great and but i think it's one of those records that's more important than it is good or like listenable for the most part yes Um, i agree with hugo that the sequencing is really strange and maybe that was like a label i don't want to just like speculate this whole podcast but like maybe that was like a label push to put those obvious singles up front because there is so much weird experimental and kind of challenging material in the middle um i went back and listened to it today for the first time in years and years because i've just been so um, more attached to the later material um but i was really struck by how some of those songs like Fort and Square Toe or however you pronounce that, that's like a, that it's almost like a um, foreshadowing of what Jeremy's solo career would look like later, a lot more piano driven, 
um, a lot more like operatic even at times. Like it's got this weird kind of like shuffly thing and like Nate Mendel's bass line is grooving along with it in this way that's just like really uncool. And I think um, part of what was, I'm realizing as I talk about this, that like part of what was disappointing about this album to me when I was young was that it it's not very cool. It doesn't have that kind of in your face-ness. It's very like um, muddy and strange and like kind of loose at times. Um, this is a band that I'm, I'm realizing took me a long time to get into because it doesn't, it's not obvious, you know? Um, the way it's produced too, it's kind of tinny a little bit. Yes. Too, which, yeah. which might be why it doesn't draw, it doesn't draw you in the same way as like other alt rock of this time or at that age. Sure. It sounds. almost like I would equate this album to like bleach. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, you're clearly getting a sense of what this band is going to be. And it's a really original landmark thing. Um, and, you know, Hugo, to your point, it's almost like more alt than it is emo. It's like, this album came out three years after, uh, Nevermind, I think, right? Like it came out of that, out of Seattle, three years after 10. It's so, it's so much closer in proximity and geography to grunge, I think, than, than most emo. And that's kind of what makes it cool and unique. And I think it allowed them to, going more adventurous directions later on in their career, but it doesn't hit anywhere near the heights of even LP2. I don't think on a single place on this, on this record for me. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna largely echo a lot of that. Um, I think it's really, really important to point out that this sort of, sort of the two big takeaways for me, this this album is largely important because of the time and place that it happened um because of the strength of the tracks and because of its sort of like capture in amber of like a very specific uh specific sound that was i think completely organic and accidental and then became a low-key and inspiration for like most of a genre right like i think that most of the quintessential tropes that we see as really iconic in 90s emo descends from like either this album or captain jazz and like i think the thing that the thing that struck me about this album and it almost feels like too obvious to point it out but i think that especially in relief compared to the stuff that we're going to be talking about in a little bit like everything feels off kilter and hesitant and tentative and like the voice like there's like you pointed out jeremy not being able to go full send with his voice yet and the guitar is always kind of flirting with being out of tune and everything just kind of always feeling on the the brink of you know collapse in an exciting way um and i think that 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 would actually have a more like that would deliver in a more electric way if it weren't for the, <laughs> the long and the toothness and the sort of bad sequencing of the album. That being said, I think one of the reasons why this is undoubtedly the quintessential 90s emo record is because it, warts and all, is still such a great product, right? Like it's, and so it's, I think that this is sort of the general consensus on this, like, um, while it might not be, while it might be a far cry from being the, the objectively best Sunny Day album, like 
it's the most it's their most important album and it's the most important album of the genre and time period and like stands completely on its own um like it sort of feels in hindsight like it was created under laboratory laboratory conditions um to produce a very specific type of product but we all know that that's just the wisdom of hindsight talking um yeah i that's i think that it's like it's it's undeniable and i i actually you know i liked it more on this list than i ever than i ever have before so there's something to be said for that yeah and just to add i i think i said this already but i think its imperfections are what makes it interesting and like the fact that it isn't a perfect record on a debut that there's that they made this kind of impact on the genre and still had room to grow like they get to exist in both things they get to be the band that made their goddamn it to use a chicago reference but Mm -hmm. also got to slowly grow into something else and i i think it's really hard to i'm not i didn't even think about it until now but it's very rare that a band gets to have like these these multiple pull arcs um and still still grow because they were very you're seeing them in the process of trying to figure out exactly what they want to be um and like to use a core corollary it's like like what if to use a band that has a lot of ambition now what if foxing with their first record the albatross created like something this indelible and then went and then went on to make to make their other stuff i can't remember the album names right now i I think you're touching on something really critical about what makes this band so enigmatic and it's that they captured lightning in a bottle and then got more polished and got better which is a very rare arc for a band i feel like generally speaking as bands get more polished and especially we'll get into the christian element too it's like how many times has a band or a singer found God and then become more interesting as a result? That's like, it's never the case. It's like a reverse arc in a lot of ways, but you have this raw energy here and it is so charming and endearing. And for a lot of people, I'm sure it's going to be the favorite in the same way that like, God damn it. Like that's, I'd say like most people I know, that's their favorite Alkaline Trio record that you could argue that they improved in certain ways as they went on. But with this band, it's like, they had that rawness, but it somehow got even more interesting as it got more polished. It's a very rare way of doing things. Yeah. Um, we want to talk LP too. Sure. Cool. Awesome. Uh, 1996 LP two, AKA the pink album. Uh, Hugo go in. Uh, yeah. First time was listening to this. I think I'm surprised. I've just never given giving this a shot it might just be that the album art is just unappealing because this whole record uh the story being kind of slapdash they were pretty close to not being a band anymore so they kind of hurried getting getting this out and this kind of signals the first breakup for the band um but it's definitely a better version, a more polished and refined version of Diary. I think it closes the book on on this era of of Sunny Day. Like, even if the lyrics weren't really put together, like they're kind of on the spot for Jeremy. I think the instrumentation is just so so much more refined refined that I that I enjoy 
that I enjoy this. Um, also, Jeremy's leaning more into the falsetto stuff. Um, and yeah, also just sounds better, like in terms of the treatment. It's got less of that tinniness. Like all, all of the issues I had with Diary, like on this listen, are mostly kind of fixed. And I know there's there's even a contingent when I read stuff that people that this is the more popular of the two now. Um, so yeah, it's not much, not like a ton to say because this is my first listen through for it, but um, similarly has like the has some issues, but I think it's mostly worked out. Dave. Um, with this record in particular, it, I, it sometimes begs the question for me, like, for example, my bandmates don't care about this band at all. And I sometimes wonder if that's got anything to do with the fact that I'm a drummer. And I think with this record in particular, the drums are just so captivating. They're like a lead instrument all the way through and rhythmically. It's just like, it, I'm never, I'm not bored for a second from start to finish with the drums specifically on this record. And I think that might contribute in large part to why I find this band to be the best of the genre and this record to be very close to the top. Um, Brother, I, your, your entire drumming style is a fucking love letter to this record. It, that's cool. it is true. <laughs> like That's cool to hear. I can't hear that myself. So it's interesting that you say that. Um, I did spend a lot of time, like, like I said, like drumming along with Goldsmith specifically. I remember when I was young, but um, what did I want to say about this? I think that this record First of all, it really benefits from the fact that they were already like broken up at the time that they were writing it and recording it because it's it's very experimental and playful, but not in a way that's trying to impress. It's not noodly. And I think so much like the more talented an emo band gets, the less the shittier the songwriting gets for the most part, it seems to me. And the more like virtuosic and like music school type guys like get into these emo bands, it's like there's actually nothing emotionally compelling about it to me a lot of the time like the American football side of the genre I don't care for whereas this it has this like it's got catharsis it's got this real like meat behind it it's got this power behind it but it's very unpredictable um it's windy but it's not noodly it's not wanky you know and it's funny because like Jeremy said something like half the songs don't don't have real lyrics but there's still this conviction behind it so to me it's just like this record is testament to this idea that like it doesn't really matter exactly what you're saying it's how you say it and I think the whole record is kind of an experiment in that principle all the way down to the the album cover in a way so I love LP2 yeah it, the whole thing definitely has like a, a way more full send energy to it like it really feels like you you can you can uh you can just taste that the band had like a case of the fuckets in like the best and most creatively um creatively indulgent way possible um without being self-indulgent right like just like throwing stuff out there into the world and like i like any record that has a has a sense of reckless abandon to it and this record definitely does um while you know not getting goofy and staying within some parameters, like, I think that there's a lot to be said for, again, like you guys said, how refined the whole thing feels from an instrumentation perspective. Like Jeremy's like really 
leaning in on his voice like he almost has some like tom york moments on this and i mean that like in a not a derogatory way uh, um like and you see it you hear them kind of warmly embracing a lot of the tropes that they played ultimately such a key part in creating uh on diary um the vocal layering on the choruses uh particularly like the doubling and tripling is really prominent on this record and it's like such a quintessential like hallmark of when I think of the best parts of 90s emo, like that is definitely one of them. Um, tasteful levels of twinkle without getting into like the wank zone with the, with the guitar work. Um, and like, I'm, I'm straight up, it's perfect that they're, <laughs> that they're touring with Appleseed Guest because I, I do in, in this record, I sort of see, like I hear a lot of the foundations for s- stuff that would go on to be like, you know, the Appleseed cast and boxing, like this kind of slow plaintive noodling, like that's going to be a big part of the sort of like stadium indie emo that we see, uh, you know, a, a decade, decade and a half down the line here. Um, so yeah, overall, I think it's like a, for as like important as Diary is, I think this album is like equal parts, like sort of equal shares, captivating and interesting. And Bucket of Chicken has to be one of the strongest album enders like ever. I'm just putting that out there. So big fan. Yeah, and I think it's important to to mention that it is notable as you're saying, like it's not over twinkling, but twinkling wasn't even a fucking thing. Right. It wasn't even a thing. It wasn't even a a thing. Like for it wouldn't be until you start getting like the Algernon. Algernon demo in like 05 and 04 that you, that it's really even starting to be yeah. become a to become a thing. This is just like it's kind of building off of Diary and leaving the the little seedlings for for what'll what'll come later. I can imagine some of those early emo bands looking at this record and being like, "Can we fit more notes per measure here, <laughs> boys?" I- I think it's safe to say that the two foundational Twinkle albums were Braid Frame and Canvas and American Football LP1. And, and obviously Cap and Jazz. Yeah, yeah Cap and Jazz. There's like a million. Yeah. But yeah, yeah this, this was definitely still, yeah, prior to that. And I think, you know, it being from the time and place, like you have to, this is a quick tangent, you have to keep in mind that things in the 90s were still very regional, right? And so there wasn't, it took a long time for word and custom to travel. And so you had a lot of, um, there was a, an intense regionality to scenes sonically that you just don't see anymore because everything travels so quickly. And I think that that factored in like to how, to the sort of sandbox that Sunny Day were allowed to play and was very much like a one built on foundations of grunge and alt rock. So anything else before we move on? Uh, no, time to go to the part of the show where I'm going to have very little to say. Oh, yeah, and David, I'm just going to get a love fest. I actually, my notes aren't, aren't terribly long on these two because I just think, like, the things that I'm saying are so pithy. But um, we are going to talk about how it feels to be something on from 1998 um, when the band reunited. And Hugo, we'll kick it over to you first for your alleged um, short take. I mean, I don't even, like, I guess you can say so, or I just... It's one of the, I don't really feel much of anything and I in general any anytime emo forts with the born again Christian thing I'm usually 
I'm usually out. Um, and I think it's important to know like the the sort of genesis of the stuff of this record could probably be traced to Jeremy's um solo record, which came out like a year or two before Frogwin, yeah. um, where he starts he starts flirting with like more, I don't know, like I don't know if I say prog, but like non post-hardcore kind of influence stuff um and it makes sense that they go this route because i think they kind of ended the book on their their version of emo and post-hardcore lp2 i don't think they had anything else to really say or keep doing with that so i think it's preferable um that they would keep being a band but there's just i was kind of rocking with it for a little bit then there was a certain point where I just started to start looking at my watch, my imaginary watch that I'm holding right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, it just doesn't do much. I think, I think the rising tide is just better in my, in my opinion. Um, and I, I feel like there's just more of that all rock stuff. I can kind of wrap my, my arms around. Um, but yeah, this is fine, and maybe at a different time, it'll it'll connect. It's just to my ears right now. It's just not, and it's just not, it's just not appealing or interesting in any way. And it felt like legit torture to keep listening to this about halfway through. Oh, let's go! I just, I just full on soy faced on camera to the embarrassment <laughs> of me and all my fucking uh, ancestors and. Uh and uh you know descendants uh dave we're gonna kick it over to you for a wildly differing opinion i have to gather myself um to each their own i i I, I was trying to be nice i i'm sorry i'm sorry that ended you and and you are like you're being very fair because you're just talking about your own reaction to it right and you're just saying that you don't find it interesting but what's what sticks out to me about what you just said is that the Christianity piece puts you off on this record, but you like the rising tide more. I think the rising tide is a, a much cornier record through and maybe, through. Maybe, maybe that's why I like it. Oh, interesting. Well, yeah, we'll I, 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 I just, yeah, I just, I just think the songs are there more on rising tide. And I, I should point this out as a listener. I don't know if I've talked about it on the pod, but I'm not a lyrics person. So like, so if the instrumentation if if it's not moving in an interesting way then it's hard for me to latch on i used to be more of a singer songwriter person when maybe when i was younger but i just i the vocals are just an instrument for me like unless i'm reading the actual lyric sheet then then i'm not paying attention to the words so i think that has to do with it a little bit too that makes a lot of sense. This album does not rock the way that yeah. The Rising Tide does, or even LP2 or Diary. This is a very this is a contemplative record, which is why I like it. I think this is maybe the best Christian rock album ever made. And what I mean by that is that this is rock music attempting to encapsulate the Christian mystical experience in some way yeah. and succeeding. Um probably the most pretentious thing I've ever said right here on this podcast. Listen, I'm here for it, brother. Let's go. Um, this is like, 
man. You know, let me start by actually being critical of this record. It is very jammy. I think it has these kind of like that ho, 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 whatever that song is. You know, it's got this kind of like tribal kind of um, like drum circle kind of feel to it at times. Yeah, and I there's think some, like, they're straight up chanting on straight one up. Of songs. Like, yeah. And I think in if I were in the wrong mood when I first heard this, or if I wasn't like feeling more open to that kind of thing, like I go through periods where all I really want to listen to is like chants and stuff like that. For whatever reason, that's just something that kind of grabs me. So to hear it in this vein was just like mind blowing to me. The idea that somebody could insert religious contemplation into a scene that is mostly songs about like bad breakups and stuff like that. It's just like so courageous to me. You know what I mean? To me, that's not corny. Um, but, you know, I could also understand being totally put off by it too. Um, for me, though, this record is so successful in trying to capture um, something very personal to Jeremy. And I think like, you know, it's 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 kind of hard to tell to get a clear answer on whether or not his faith uh, was a contributing factor into the band's multiple breakups or into the intro band strife. But if it was a contributing factor, the fact that he doubled down on it in such a way with this album to me um just makes me love him and love the album all that much more because again like it's so so uncool to write about that kind of thing and to absolutely the, and, cor the corniest most uncool thing ever it is just is musical anti-fashion yes right? like it's it's so alienating but it's not pretentious it just it just isn't there's like it's very sincere it comes from a real place it's deeply personal and it's very, very serious music. But again, I never get the sense from Sunny Day or from Jeremy Enig that he's trying to impress anybody. I think he's trying to achieve something and to manifest something and to encapsulate a, a state of being with his music. And I think that's more that can be said for just about anybody, aside from maybe Clarity by Jimmy yeah. World. Um, I think that album captures something transcend uh, transcendent as well in its own way. But in a much more commercially accessible way. I'm going to stop talking about this. It's it's good. Um, we, what you've heard, what you've heard, are like just now are the two most diametric possible takes in civil in civil discourse about a uh, about an album, and I, we love to see it. It's what we come to the table for, motherfuckers. Um, no, the the whole album, like you said, has this sort of transcendental spiritual energy to it and you're either with it or you're not like that stuff either speaks to you or it doesn't and like it's gonna be it's gonna gonna come off as jagged and jarring if you're not rocking with it right like like i can see how this album would just sound like complete dog shit to somebody who didn't have a spiritual like a strong spiritual element to their life however it looks and people are fucking right to be jarred by this because it's it's either meant to be provocative or even if it isn't music that's this opinionated always is right like what i mean by that is like it goes it goes like full fucking send on every aspect of what it's doing even at some points when it's to its detriment like when it does get ponderous and drawn out and chanty right like that that is all very from where i sit very intentional and the the cool thing about this album that i feel like is absent from the prior two albums and probably continues on the one 
on the next one, which we'll talk about, is that like from the art to the songs to the arrangement and sequencing, like this is a great example of an album that is a curated and cohesive vibe, right? Like, and I think that is such a treat when that happens because that's so hard to even think of doing. Like, it's so hard to even have the creative presence as a band to do that, much less to like actually execute it well, right? Like, it's so hard to even try. Um, so like, I think that that's cool. I think it does a good job. I think it is like a, a an emo record and whatever the most quantum uh, uh, senses of the word is in that it like, it navigates some pretty bold and daring parts of like the human emotion spectrum, <laughs> which I think is cool. Um, but like, I think that the thing that is notable on this album, and this could be just like, the bias of me liking it a lot but the album does feel like it like it moves pretty well like in spite of having some sort of ponderous moments like there aren't really like there isn't a huge disparity between the highs and lows like it's all kind of on a on an even keel um yeah i think that it's cool that a band <laughs> to echo what you said dave like it's at least interesting even if you don't like this record aesthetically uh it's very interesting and dope that like a band uh that was in this very specific genre could do a, an album that was this far out of left field yeah yeah you y'all at least convinced me a little bit to give it another shot at the least um it's a it's, I, I i think what y'all are saying like in terms of the spirituality is interesting and i think it could just be like i teeter back and forth between like if we want to get like super real i, I teeter back and forth to like consciousness ends once we die to like yeah the other thing and i think stuff like that may may and yeah like in fact like my experience with this record 100 percent it's good it's good self-inventory to fucking recognize that like it's it's important to, to, to fucking recognize what you're actually taking into the ring when you're consuming these records you know and just cultural texts in general like it's important to check yourself on those things and yeah know what you're rocking with um or, yeah or i go the other way and have a manic attack that just ends with me destroying myself um, my sort of last note on this is that like for me like i am not a motherfucker who can sit and listen to some fucking ambient music or to some like new age, right? This album is literally as vibey as I get with music is this album. So that factors in like, this is the vibiest end of the spectrum, unless I'm going like, unless I'm having a real regular one and listening to like the Aphex Twin ambient album, like this <laughs> is this is as, as vibey as I'm getting. And I think that that's important, like it, it, it it represents a sort of logical extreme of the spectrum for me, which I think was why like listening to it is always such a rich experience for yeah, me. I, just to add off of that, I think of the opposite, which is like, I want to either listen to extremely vile, like death metal or destroy my eardrums or listen to ambient music. Right. I, I, I <laughs> that's, that's where, that's where I sit like the in-between is like where i sometimes 
find myself getting bored. Yeah. Fucking yeah. A. That makes perfect sense. Um, to just to circle back to the the religious aspect of it again, I think like, you know, to your point, Hugo, if you're somebody who is agnostic or kind of in between or vacillates between different beliefs, I think that this record is really about that even more than it is, at least to my ears, um, even more than it is just like, you know, praise and worship and just singing about how much he loves Jesus Christ, because this to me is the sound of somebody really struggling with their faith, at least musically, like maybe maybe the, the actual lyrical content is more uh, devout. But I think like, part of what makes faith interesting, and part of what makes Christian rock not interesting on the whole is that it's not necessarily about certainty. I think it's. I think it really is about grappling with uncertainty and contending with it, um, with the feeling of uncertainty. Like this is an album that helped me kind of learn to cope with anxiety in a way that no other form of music ever really did, because it was the sound of somebody embracing that. Um, again, that's just my subjective interpretation of it, but. Maybe that could help color your experience with it if you return to it again. I don't know. The, the doubt factor is strong, right? Like there's a reason like this and even though I'm not, I'm not a Christian, uh, this and Me Without You, A to B Life are two of my favorite records of all time and two of the most like consistently rapturous records for me to listen to is because they are, they are just, they're treatises on fucking doubt. And the specific yeah. type of uncanny doubt that you feel when you're in a faith crisis, like that. This talk has also reminded me of Pedro the Lion, which is like very yep. about that too. Oh yeah, do a Pedro episode. Let's do a fucking Pedro episode. I'm putting That'd that on the list. Hell yeah, because that Pedro is in such an interesting zone of like, is it emo? Is it fucking just indie? I don't fucking know. Um, I, I think it's yeah. We can say that. We don't need to go into all that right now. Absolutely. I nor would I want to. I just am making a mental note for myself um, because I think it's I think it's important. Um, so we're going to move on and talk about the, the final uh, studio album of the band, um, The Rising Tide from the year 2000. And Hugo, we're going to go over to you first. Uh, yeah, as I said before, this this was the one out of the later era stuff that I surprisingly rocked with more given that it's a longer record but i just think it rocks i don't know um it's got stuff that's closer to early sunny day um i don't know what it is is about it like it's got some of that naughtiness that that i look for and i think it's it's more of a full realization like sonically of bridging together like somebody that like messed with fugazi when they were young but also wanted to make a U2 record. Um, and yeah, that's I, that's why I enjoyed it. I still need to come back to it because I, I still had a little bit of fatigue near the end. But I think going three for four on Sunny Day Records in terms of stuff I like is, is good enough for me. It's um, good. More than I can say for, that for most bands. Yeah, strong discography. Uh by any measure three out of four 70 if 75 percent of a band's discography is likable by one set of ears they're doing a pretty good good job dave uh this to me 
by and large is kind of like how it feels but stripped of the darkness and maybe that's just me being as stupid and and like superficial as pasting the album cover onto the listen in a way like it's literally brighter but i think um this you know it's a much it's a much hookier record than how it feels and um i think it's going for a broader appeal and i think it's it succeeds um, I think it's really interesting. If you go to the Wikipedia for this record specifically, it's like kind of bizarre. It says, uh, where is it? This is so dumb. It says, this is, a, it basically says, oh yeah, The Rising Tide is an arena rock album with elements of progressive rock and symphonic rock. Yeah. The lyrics include references to rain, angels, and the ocean. Like <laughs> who writes these things? You know what I'm saying? Like there's nothing like that on these other albums. And to call it arena <laughs> rock, I think actually kind of rings true though. Like as funny as that is to me. There's there's like these clear references. Like Jeremy sounds exactly like the singer from Yes at a couple of points in the yep. sound. Like there are these very clear nods. And I think you can start you sort of start to see that like Sunny Day became a little bit more of like a creative sandbox for him, whereas his solo material was gonna stay more devotional, I guess, and like more deeply personal and direct, and maybe even uh more impressive from a songwriting perspective. Like this album kicks ass at its at its high points, but it's probably while I would I would still contend that Diary is their worst. I think this is my least favorite. Totally fair. Uh, this is definitely a close second for me behind how it feels. It's like for me, it's like they they took the energy and the vibe from how it feels and like put it sort of like boxed it up and put it on rails, and like it's like. A lot of the a lot of the elements of of that with like a lot of the struggle and darkness and contemplation removed, put into sort of a neater kind of more pop sensible package, which I think effectively, even if this wasn't intentional, effectively makes this record feel like it's a synthesis kind of of everything that they've done, um, but in a way that doesn't feel like it's more than the sum of its parts, right? Like in a lot of, in a lot of ways, it's the most sophisticated record because it's just like they, they succeeded in like just making this big bombastic power pop record. Um, and like every aspect of it is, is so refined. And I think that like you were talking about earlier, like I, like it's rare that a, that, you know, a, a band becomes more refined and more interesting. I think that it's, probably good that the that this is the end point of the band's discography because i think that had they continued on the trajectory that they were you know headed with this record they might have hit that tipping point after this record where it became too refined to the point of being like bland right um so i think that that's that's important to recognize like i think for a lot of sets of years like your on-ramp to the band i think is is best to be either Diary or this album, just like depending on what you want out of music. Alex Chilton is like one of the most important fucking artists for me. And I also like really love like, I was like the like the post-punk revival shit of the early 2000s was really big for me coming up too. And so like, there was just a lot about this album that clicked for me intuitively. I think depending on maybe kind of what dish you've, you've been drinking out of, like either this or Diary is the, is the best on-ramp. Um, but that's, that's on you. Um, I think it's an interesting thing, like talking about, since we have a little time, like talking about sort of like hot tracks on the records or to borrow a phrase used by our, by, uh, where it went, 
podcast, like <laughs> figuring out which songs you like on the albums I, the just, most. I just wanted to add like one thing before. Oh we yeah, do for that. sure. There was a rumor when they reunited in 09 that they had a full Sunny Day record yeah. like, in the can, which which does lead that there is some universe where that would have happened or maybe yeah. they, they jumped the gun. And that's going to be the question with this reunion is are they going to write anything new? And what would that even, what would that even sound like? Well, have you guys heard Lipton Witch? The song off the, oh man, you got to check that out. So that's, they did a split with Circus Survive. Yeah. I think if I'm reading it correctly, 2014. Yeah. Um, and that song is like, to, to use the term power pop, Jim, that's like, that is the most polished and tight, like rocking Sunny Day song, maybe in the whole catalog. Yeah. And I think it came out of those sessions, but it was the only thing that they could actually cobble together in a way that was listenable. But it's it's one of their best songs. Talk about hot tracks. That's like, to me, that's top five. Yeah, twenty. I remember checking that out when it came out because 2014 was like peak emo peak emo listening year for me um and especially i was like very like listening to a lot of mineral and shit so that was like right on my radar i remember thinking it was really captivating um i'll have to go back and listen to it now because like i wasn't nearly as sunny day pilled back then as i am now so it's always it's always fun to like go back and revisit things iteratively with like different sets of ears and life experience um i like overwhelmingly like the fucking more ballady songs on these records like my favorite track on to go kind of backwards through it like hot track on rising tide is definitely tearing in my heart and similarly like because it kind of feels like a sequel to days were golden which is my favorite track on how it feels um bucket of chicken obviously is just kind of objectively the strongest track on lp2 um and I think like 47 is, is it for me on diary. And it's probably a hot take, but since I like knapsack and Elliot so much like that, that song has like the sort of most sort of connective tissue with those artists. I feel like, um, you guys got any thoughts on like hot tracks real quick. I just want to say, I'm glad you mentioned knapsack because listening to diary today, I noticed for the first time, what a massive influence Sunny Day must have been on Knapsack. Am I getting the timeline right on that? 100%. Yeah. Knapsack's first album came out in 95. So, yeah. yeah. Down to the vocals, like the soft and then loud thing, just like yeah. the way that it'll shift octave. Yeah. Amazing. Never really thought about that before, but it's obvious to me now. Anyway, Hugo, hot track. Uh, let me think. Uh, I, for a lot of the dire ones are the obvious ones, like Seven and Circles. They're the strongest. Uh, yeah. Um, I think Shadows is really under is a really underrated track. I, re, I really like that one. That's when I start to falter with Diary. Shadows usually brings brings me back in. I think it's just solid like verse chorus pop pop songwriting. Uh, five four on LP two and Waffle. I like that run. Um, let me see how it feels. I have a hundred million saves, so I'll just say that. Uh, and Rising Tide, The Ocean, and Killed by an Angel. Um, just just a couple. Just going off of what I have saved on my on my good old Spotify. 
yeah those that's like very very anthem very anthem centric and like that is that is i think our respective hot tracks i think underscores a really important thing which is like this is sunny day or a band where the ballads and anthems go equally hard like they have equal shares of talent in making both of those which that's like a wild ass thing for a band to have pinned to their hat to be able to be equally strong at writing ballads and anthems in a genre that subsists on both an equal share but usually one band is like steeply better at doing one versus the other it's really impressive that they can that they can be as consistent sort of across that spectrum as they are I agree and I think two bands that come to mind a lot that have been coming to mind a lot while thinking about Sunny Day are Jimmy Eat World, um, absolutely a band that achieves that dichotomy. Yep. Um, on ev every good album, they do that. And Jawbreaker also, I think, maybe to a lesser ah. extent. Um, but a similar arc to Jawbreaker too, I think. Like, you know, some people will say like Unfun is their favorite Jawbreaker re breaker record, which I think is just like a hot take thing, but- It's dumb. It's so annoying. It's like, no, it's not. It's not good. Like, shut up. But I think like the early Jawbreaker records are similar to um, to Diary in a way where like that's a band that began to take itself a little more seriously as time went on, for better or for worse. Now I don't think like I don't think how it feels in Rising Tide are as polarizing necessarily as like a Dear You, and a lot of that is like time and context that is before my time, and so I don't have the same personal beef with Jawbreaker that a lot of people do, but. I think you can see a similar arc of a band like actually, in my view, getting more sonically polished and getting more interesting again to, to return to that motif. There's nobody, there's nobody under 50 who is old enough to have a personal beef with Jawbreaker. Yeah. And, and if you if you think that if you, if you have retconned yourself into thinking that you have any kind of beef with them over their arc over the course of the over the course of the 90s, you gotta you be you need to check yourself a yeah. little bit, I think. You got to take personal inventory. I'm I'm team I'm team let let people enjoy things generally. I'm not team let people use like lore as an excuse to shit on things. That that is to say that this is a dear you apologist fucking podcast across the board. Um, You're in good company. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it's I think we're well past the I I think we've turned around where at least people our age or there's enough of a contingent where dear you is their favorite yeah i don't know if i'm totally there yet but i mean you you motherfuckers were both born in the 90s you have like <laughs> no business even listening to fucking jawbreaker and yes you do so yeah uh, i mean my favorite band for a long time was the lawrence arms so i'm obligated to know who jawbreaker is same um I, I just, got a question. May, may it please the court real quick that I just heard a like five-year-old kid yell, shut the fuck up outside <laughs> my window. <laughs> <laughs> and he better not have been yelling at me because there's nothing I can do. Um, you, I interrupted you, Hugo, go for it. No, I was, I was curious what, um, what is the consensus on like sunny day now? Do you hear any bands like referencing referencing them because i feel like i don't hear i don't hear it in the one you're talking about 90s emo among like the on my side of emo twitter like you unless they're like 42 talking about sunny day i feel so, like, yeah 
Dave, you go first. I have my own set of things that I think is true, but I'm curious to hear what you have to say. Yo, they're a singular band. Like, I, I really don't think that anybody, like you can name check them in the way that a lot of bands like to name check Fugazi, for instance. And I guess there are a lot of bands that are kind of emulate Fugazi in their own way. But at the end of the day, there's there's really only one. And I think like LP2 is where you really start to see stuff that I've never heard really replicated by anybody, you know? And like, maybe I just need to do, need to do more homework and listen to more bands. But like, in, at least in terms of emo, once the twinkly thing got introduced and then made its way, you know, to Philly and to the sort of like Midwest emo revival thing that happened, like, I don't, I didn't really hear anybody returning back to this. And maybe that's got something to do with how isolated they were geographically. Like we're talking about at the beginning, like this is a Seattle emo band that again, to return to their weird uh, Wikipedia article, it says that they were one of the purveyors or progenitors of the of the midwest emo scene it's like what are we talking about here you know what i mean like i don't really there's nothing really midwest about this it's kind of its own thing and um yeah i really i don't hear it in much of anything um at least not in emo so while emo really applies to like diary um like perfectly i think it becomes a little bit of a pejorative term with the later records in a sense and lumping it like I know emo has been that's another like debate that predates me as a person but like I don't think it's really fair to to put even LP2 but certainly how it feels in the rising tide into the emo camp it just doesn't sound like that to me but I yeah that's fair I just think I said it because I don't think their legacy would be what they are if it wasn't for emo yeah in the the first place true Um, true yeah, like I'd, I'd say there's pieces of LP2 that I feel like that feels more like a modern emo record than Diary when I listen 100%. to LP2. Yeah, no, there, like I said, there are pieces of LP2 that you like hear popping up in like any of the, again, any of the big room emo bands of the 2000s, a lot of which are still going now, like Foxing or Apple Seedcast or like later era Me Without You or even like Minus the Bear, like all have heavy stuff that is indebted to to stuff that you see first happening on on lp2 even if it's a degree of removal even if they weren't like directly aping that record but they were aping band bands and records that were aping that record like i think i straight up think that i'm i'm sort of starting to starting to establish this sort of thetical thing that i'm going to keep pulling on as we continue to do this show but i think that there's like a there's sort of a depth chart of influences that bands feel comfortable explicitly name checking and explicitly referencing in their music and i think that it is tacitly considered a very uncool thing to uh to cite and name check and directly ape bands that are too far at the top of that depth chart and i think in emo one of the bands at the, t- at the probably at the tippy top of that depth chart is fucking sunny day like i think that there's like i don't think it's right that it's viewed this way but i think a lot of bands going in it's like oh it's poser energy to say that our biggest influence is fucking sunny day real estate because of course it is an influence on everybody but there's like people it's it's the same thing it would be like it's like a hardcore band we're like oh our biggest influences are fucking agnostic front and mad ball yeah you and everybody else you don't have to say it (laughs) like 
it's good. Those, the, that kind of vibe, I think maybe factors into why you like, you don't hear them getting name checked, but I think even more so like, it's just that their, their music is sonically so hard to replicate. Yeah. And like, it would be such a obviously like bad faith move to try to do it because it'd be like, it'd be like a band explicitly trying to sound like Fugazi. Yeah. But I think the, the one counter I would be, is, it's like, if nobody says it for so long, then the thread gets, gets lost or, eventually yeah. a band doesn't get passed down yeah that's like, true the only reason american football got passed down was because everyone kept talking about it and yeah. it's it's why it's how stuff gets lost it's how like people forget good luck was an emo band yeah and it's like how prior to you know prior to axe to grind like so much of the like late 80s stuff got didn't really get talked about sufficiently so yeah, I would oh, cool. be stoked to see somebody name check Sunny Day. You know what I yeah. mean? Because it's so obvious. Like I think now, like especially since it's like squarely in the classic rock canon for you know kids, you know, like all the anybody who's young now was not even alive when any of these records were made. <laughs> like yep. straight up, there aren't any like there aren't any like capital Y young people born before two thousand anymore. So like that's that factors in <laughs> um so maybe we'll see maybe we'll see if i can especially on the heels of this this touring run who knows i don't know i don't have faith that they're going to be any young people at these shows but i could be proven wrong you never know um we'll see yeah uh well we made good work of this fellas um and yeah, wow. not not too terribly long a time you guys either of you guys have anything before we sign off no another classic episode yeah, I just want to sort of say in closing that I think that, like, this is a really unique opportunity to get a get a lot of squeeze for very little effort out of a discography. Like, if for some reason, like, this is this discography is some level of an unturned stone for you and you, like, haven't sat with these records like do yourself a favor and like set a set a couple hours to listen to them um because if you're like me like you might just not have listened to the right record yet and like you could legitimately be short selling this band for yourself and like i don't think i'm a completely unreasonable person on some dimensions and like one of those dimensions is that like i think i have a pretty canonical appreciation for like well-executed pop music and one of the reasons that these the back half of this discography hit so hard for me is because it's so capably executed on those specific things and so give this shit a chance man you might really fucking enjoy it it's and it's so sprawling but so digestible at the same time like there's four yeah. albums like come on you know part of the reason that i get so defensive about this band is like there if you're a musician especially there's got to be something here for you you know what yeah. i mean short of jeremy enig's voice like completely turning you off but again like hugo to your point that's like an instrument in and of itself particularly with this band it's so unique and i also yeah. think that part of why bands don't name check this band that much is like he's totally inimitable you know there's no way to to replicate once he learned how to sing post diary he's just he's a singular artist i think yeah i can't think of a single motherfucker in any genre that that sounds like the guy at all like he does some straight up acrobatics with his voice and in a way that's that is so 
the thing about this band that I think is really, this is maybe my sort of pin in it for the day. In an era where we have been fucking conditioned to think that sincerity is the corniest thing ever and to where people run away from fucking the opportunity to be sincere. I think that where I think part of like the impending vibe shift is, is a reversion from that and a turn back towards sincerity um, and a sort of radical sincerity. And I think that that level of radical sincerity really um, gets displayed on these, by this band and on these records. And I just think that like, Jeremy Enoch is a just a straight up beacon of of a type of sincerity that we could really fucking use right now so amen anything else well, fellas? Intended. <laughs> yeah nah. well thanks for joining us everybody uh listen to some music book a show make some culture happen be yourself be awesome peace peace <laughs>